You know, it's been a while since I've been up here. It's always kind of a, a privilege to be up here and kind of an honor to speak in front of you, but it's been a while. And the last couple times I've spoken up here, well, it hasn't gone exactly the way that I wanted it to go. So it's a little bit risky. First of all, the last time I actually spoke in front of you, I barely was able to make it through the message without crying like six times. It was kind of an emotional one for me. A couple things were happening in my life. And it's not that I think that crying in front of people is a big deal. It's more the way that I feel like I cry in front of people. You know, I want to be like that guy in the movies who really, you just see the one tear. <laughs> and he can talk. And you can tell his heart is just breaking, but he's strong enough to talk. I blubber. I just sit there and I cry and I'm like, I don't care what people think. And I blow my nose in my shirt and you can see it when I'm done. And so that was kind of embarrassing for me. Not the greatest moment in my life, but I think that went all right. And then the time before that, I got up here to speak. And right before I was going to get up here, I needed to write down some notes. So I grabbed a pen and I started writing down some of those notes. And I didn't know where to put the pen. And so I just kind of put it behind my ear and I got up to speak. And I spoke the entire message with the pen in behind my ear. How many of you here watched that? Anybody? Yes, we got one. Thank you. Thanks for telling me. That was really helpful. All you had to do is give me a little tip, and I would have taken it down. So, so it's a little bit risky for me to come up here today. I'm hoping that I don't start to cry, and I'm definitely going to put the pen away. However, the message that I have for you this morning is a little bit risky, and it's risky only in the sense of the connotation that the topic brings. Because today I'm here to talk with you about sin. I have a lot of Bibles, and a lot of them are small, and they, you know, they're really nice. Got an NIV and an NLT. I've got all the initials of the Bible. But I figure if I'm going to talk about sin today, I had to go to my wife, and I had to borrow her Bible. She's got a nice big one. And I figure if I'm going to talk about sin, I'm going to really grab a big Bible. I'm going to set it down, and I'm really going to talk about sin. I'm really going to delve into it. Because when I grew up, at least once a year, we would have an absolute Bible-belting, like verbal spanking from the pastor about sin and how it was wrecking everybody in their lives and how you needed to stop sinning right now, right here, today. And I would always remember those messages. I always remember hating listening to them because of how it made me feel. It made me feel convicted. It made me feel guilty. And it made me feel like I really wanted to stop sinning. But more than stop sinning, I wanted to stop going to church. I don't know about you or where you come from or if you've ever been assaulted with a message on the uh, seriousness of sin, but I'm not going to do that today. However, I want to make sure you understand that when I talk today, I want to talk about kind of a different look at sin as, a, as opposed to maybe what I've heard in my past, but please don't misunderstand the gravity of sin to God. God takes sin very seriously. Serious enough that he sent his son to die for us so that that would not get in the way of a relationship with him. So I want you to kind of keep that as, as kind of like a backdrop. Sin, God takes sin very seriously, and it breaks his heart. It makes him cry a little bit to see us go away from him and turn from him. So kind of with that as kind of the backdrop, I want to start in a little bit different direction, and that is I want to talk about the NFL draft. Because I think the NFL draft has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about today. My dad likes the NFL draft more than the actual football games themselves. I go over to his house every year, 
and we have like a food feast. It's pizza, it's steak, hamburgers, whatever it is. We have literally a buffet of fat and grease, and it's awesome. We actually make the food down in the kitchen, and then we gather the food, much more than we or a family of six could eat, and we take it upstairs into the living room. We put it down on the, the coffee table, and it was, used to be one of those cool ones that kind of come up. And so literally, we didn't even have to move very much, and we could eat. That was awesome. And my mom got involved, and we don't have that coffee table anymore. But it's still, it was still really cool. And we would watch the NFL draft. My dad would have like eight different mock drafts around him. And anybody that follows football knows you got your uh, uh, Mike Mayock, and you got your... Uh, Who's the guy with the hair? Mel Kuyper Jr. And uh, then, who, you guys know who they are. Well, guys, some gals probably know who they are too. But all these people are telling you what they think your teams are going to do, and it's kind of exciting for my dad. He gets to, ooh, and he actually writes them down. When he sees a draft pick that goes out of order, he just like crossed that name out. Oh, he was wrong. Oh, that was dumb. Oh, that was a reach. That was definitely a reach. I'm like, Dad, you don't have no idea who these guys are. He's like, I know, but Mike Mayock said this person wasn't supposed to go here. And he just gets excited about that. For years, I kept trying to figure out what was it about the draft that was actually more important to my father than the rest of the football season. It's almost like that was, you know, the draft was the big deal and the football season was like, whatever. Well, it was because the draft is the only day where there is hope without the possibility of defeat. That is the only day of the year for the Vikings, even more so lately for the Vikings, where you get to look at what's happening to that team and you get to have hope that there is a 16-0 season on the way and you don't have to worry about there being any possibility that you're going to lose a single game. It's hope without the possibility of defeat. Today I'm going to talk about sin and we're going to we're going to actually delve into Romans 6, and we're going to read a lot in Romans 6 today. And what I want you to understand from the beginning to end, that when God talks to us about sin in our life, specifically to this passage, what he's really trying to get across is because of the grace that he bestows upon us, because of that gift that he gives us, there is hope. And if we accept what he's giving, and we accept that gift, There is not the possibility of defeat. But I'll come back to that later. Um, Another one of the things that I like to do in my life, besides go to my parents' house and watch the draft with my father, is I like movies. And movies are not to me like they are to some people. Some people like suspense movies. Some people like movies that are, you know, really have incredibly surprising endings, and they just like that. They almost kind of build up to it. I don't work that way. It's not that I want all movies to be like the Disney ending. That doesn't bother me if it doesn't have a Disney ending. But I don't mind knowing the ending to a movie before I watch it. It doesn't bother me at all. And so when people come up to you and say, hey, did you see that movie? Sometimes I'll say, yeah, what what happened at the end again? And then they'll tell me. I'm like, cool, because then it's okay for me to watch. I know the ending. I know what happens. It doesn't bother me. Some people do not like that. And so you have to be really careful who you talk to. Hey, did you see that movie? How about the ending where the guy did the... And then you get this blank look on their face, and they just like don't speak to you for weeks. But I don't mind it. And unfortunately today, I'm going to ruin the ending to my talk. We're going to talk about Romans 6, and we're going to read a lot of Romans 6. But instead of starting at the beginning, which apparently I'm told is a good place to start, uh, we're going to go right to the end. And we're going to go right to Romans 6, verse 23, because I believe that 
knowing that verse, you know, we're going to read that in a second, knowing that verse, I think it gives us a good idea as we're reading the rest of the passage what God is really trying to tell us. So Romans 6.23, you can, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up. If not, you can go ahead and read it behind me. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think a lot of times the way that we read that verse is very much in a, in a kind of a parallel sense, meaning you have this life and you have this life. And if you choose this life, it leads to death. And if you choose this life, it leads to life and eternal life. And I agree, I agree with that reading. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think there's a lot of merit to it. However, within this verse, there, is a, there, there are many contrasts and one that I want to point out right now before we really get started. And that is that as we read that first verse, for the wages of sin is death, I want you to notice the word that was chosen, and that is wages. It doesn't say for the consequences of sin is death. It doesn't say for the end result of sin is death. It says for the wages of sin is death. And really what that tells me is that there's an owed factor in there. The wages of sin. You work at it enough and your wages is going to be death, much like when you work. If you work hard enough at your job, if you work on commission, you work hard enough, your wages are going to go up possibly. For the wages of sin is death. If you don't work very hard, you might not make a lot of money. Wages, it's a very occupationally based term. And so the wages of sin is death. There's something that you're earning. There's something that you're doing to receive death, and that is you're sinning. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But, this is a big but, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the first part is about action. The wages of our sin. When we do something, we receive this. Whereas the second part has nothing to do with anything that we're doing. It's the gift of God. So there's a contrast there. For the wages of sin, if you work hard enough at sinning, you're going to get death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So there is a way to live your life this way and a way to live your life that way. But one of them has everything to do with something that we're going towards and we're making a decision to go in that direction and we're working at it. And the other part is a gift that we receive. And that gift would be grace. So I want you to kind of keep that in mind, that everything that we're going to talk about, when we're talking about sin, it's certainly talking about choices we're making. But the gift that we receive, that grace, is not a choice that we make other than to accept it. We don't earn it. We don't go out and do everything we can so that we are able to receive this gift. No, the gift is on the table. And it's ready for you to open you pray before we get started here with me, please? Lord, there's a lot going on in our lives. There are so many things that can pull us in so many directions, Lord. And I just ask for clarity in my mind and my thought that I may be focused and speak the words that, that you would have us hear and that you would have us come to understand and come to know. And Lord, at the end of the day, please allow us to have a sense that your grace is a gift that you bestow upon us and not something that we have to work towards. Let us feel that freedom that is involved in living for you and being, and being in a relationship with you, Lord. Please allow us to feel that. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. 
So Romans 6, and now I am going to start at the beginning, and today is, there's, going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of reading, but the, what I would encourage you to do if there's some of this reading that we kind of gloss over or we don't really take a lot of time with that you think is important, I highly encourage you to really jump into Romans 6. Um, as far as sin is concerned, I think a connotation of sin that I was talking about earlier really is deep, deeply embedded in a lot of people's lives the guilt that's associated with the way that we live our lives and the sin that can be in there is so, is so embedded that breaking free from that is going to require a lot more than a few words from me this morning. Whether that involves prayer, whether that involves a small group, whether that involves a counselor, whether that involves meetings with a pastor, whatever it is, I highly encourage you to go that direction. But Romans 1, Romans 6, verse 1, uh, I'm going to start reading it, but I want you to understand that this whole, this whole book of Romans was not necessarily meant to be read in pieces. I mean, when Paul wrote this to the people in Rome, he didn't necessarily write it with all the chapters and all the verse numbers. He just wrote it. So uh, to understand a little bit of where Paul's starting in 6, we do have to go back a little bit, but I want to read first. So Romans 6, starting in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The previous chapter in Romans, Paul talked about grace. He really, really talked about grace and how amazing grace was and what a gift it was, something that we cannot achieve on our own, something that we can't get for ourselves, but it's just something that's there that we can accept because Christ put it there with his death and resurrection. Now, the first words that we read here, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What he had just basically talked about in chapter 5 was simply this. When you sin, grace is enough to cover it. If you sin more, there is still plenty of grace. So I think what he's doing here to begin with is he's trying to encourage the Romans not to see it in terms of, well, wait a minute. If I sin a little bit and grace is there, why don't I just keep sinning so that the grace is increased? It's like, oh, it's like he's kind of thinking for them kind of on the negative side. You know, he's thinking worst case scenario. What if they start to think that, well, why don't I just keep sinning more and then there will be even more grace? And God's power will be shown even more brightly. So he doesn't want to do that. So that's why he starts this way. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. And I'm almost positive, even though it's not written in any Bible I've ever read, that right after the end of that, I believe the word moron was in there. (laughs) By no means, moron. Because it does seem kind of dumb. I mean, the whole, the whole Bible talks to us about living this right and direct and pure life. And now we start, when people start thinking, well, hey, there's a little, a lot, a little bit of grace for a little bit of sin, a, little, a lot of sin, a lot of grace. Well, obviously not. We died to sin. The important part of that piece is it's a past tense. We died to sin. What I'm, gain, what I'm kind of gathering from that is Paul is talking to believers, people who are, have already been down that path. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And the, the piece of that, that 
about baptism is important to understand in context here because for the most part then, baptism was certainly uh, an event in people's lives. They become a Christian, they get dunked in the pool, and they come out of the pool. But it was much more symbolic being in the water than anything else. When they were put into the water, the way that the Romans would have seen it is they're in the water, and they go in as an old man, so to speak, and they come out as a new man or old woman, new woman. And the reason why that was significant is the water was kind of washing the sins away. So they go in old, they come out new. And that was important for the Romans to understand because just as we were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death, so we were baptized into something that really got rid of this thing that we're now worried about. Stop, stop focusing on the sin is what he's saying here and start focusing on the life that we now have. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And that new life, not necessarily a level of life, a new life like that, it's really meant to be a completely changed life. So it's not, I'm living this life and now that I'm a Christian, I can live an even better life. No, it's, it's a different life. It's a direction you're moving in. So you're not moving in this direction anymore that you were moving when Christ saved you, once he saved you, it's a new life. It's in a completely different direction. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. And obviously the death that's being discussed there, it's a death to our old self. And I think when we talk about sin, there's a difficulty for a lot of people to get past things that they've done. And maybe you're not in this boat. Maybe you don't have an abusive past. Maybe alcoholism or drug addiction or pornography were not part of anything that you've ever been associated with. And so you don't have to worry about the big sins. But for a lot of people, that is one of the hardest walls to get over in believing that Christ can give us that hope. They're dying to their old self is difficult, not necessarily because they like that life, not necessarily because that it's just all about pleasure for them and it's been good. It's hard because of guilt that's associated with it. They feel like they're beyond hope. And that's a struggle. And I don't believe that that is just given and that guilt is just holding on to people and making them slaves to that just for the people that have those big sins that I just discussed. Sometimes it's the smaller ones. Sometimes it's just that life that you lead or you've led that just, it doesn't feel comfortable, but it feels like yours. How can I change? We've been baptized into Christ. Once we've made that decision, we're created to be a new man or a new woman. Not better. Different. Moving on to verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that, there will also, that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Look at these words again. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. Notice it doesn't say, it, it does not say once and for all, 
It's, I mean, when we say that once and for all, we're going to do this. Once for all, meaning for all. He died there for us. So essentially what that passage is talking about is that we were, you know, when, let's say you get asked how many people were up on the cross when Christ was crucified. Most people would say three. There was Christ and there was the two sinners. Well, essentially what this passage is saying is so that we were all there. And that within that, within that moment, we all were able to die to sin. We were all able to have that relationship with God restored again. Now, that passage, verses 8 through 10, is really kind of explaining what Christ was doing. And then the next part is saying how that really affects us and how we need to view it. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of weakness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but grace. So Christ up on the cross does this for us. Oh, cross over here. So Christ on the cross does this for us. We are allowed to be with him up on that cross. That sin that is with us in our life, that so easily makes us feel like we have no choice but to sin, that now gives us a choice. But be careful of that choice. We don't have the choice to never sin again. We don't have that choice. We are humans. We are going to make mistakes. There will be more sin. But we do have the choice in what direction we go in. I mean, imagine driving to uh, Chicago and you decide, or maybe you're driving on the other side of Illinois, but you have to drive to Chicago. So there are a couple different routes that you can take. You could take the route that goes directly through directly through the heart of the city. Is that 90? Is that what goes through there? Yes. Now, I remember we used to live in Indiana, and so we would drive back there every once in a while when I was, you know, we moved back from Indiana. We'd go back to visit friends. And depending on the time of day that we left, my dad would sometimes go through the heart of the city. If we were going in the middle of night, it was not a big deal. Still kind of busy, but not as busy. But Chicago traffic was such that every once in a while, we'd take the long way around because we didn't want to go through traffic. Now, my point is, is this, is that when we live the Christian life, very often, if we've been driving straight through Chicago and that's not been working for us, that sinful life, we do have another choice. That choice might not be perfect. There will still be sin, but that is probably a better choice. Scratch probably. That is a better choice. Instead of heading in the direction that leads to death, for the wages of those sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And okay, driving through parts of Illinois is not always a gift, but you get my point. It's a different path you're taking. There will still be bumps in that road, but you will still get there, and it will be a better path. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. There are no, in my mind, no more happier words in this Bible than those. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. And it's important that we all understand that doesn't mean we're not going to sin anymore. But we can be alive to God. There are no more wages because of the sin that we have in our life. And it is because of grace. Just like that last piece talks about, because you are not under the law, but under grace. There is no more set of rules that we have to follow. How many of your non-Christian friends basically see Christianity as more a set of rules and restrictions than a life of freedom? 
I've got plenty. And the hardest part, kind of the hardest explanation, there are a lot of uh, friends that I've talked to that they'll believe that there's a God. They'll believe that there was a Jesus and that he died on the cross. They'll even believe that somehow mysteriously he rose from the dead. But sometimes the hardest thing for my friends to understand is that my faith gives me freedom as opposed to those shackles. They feel like that holds you down. They think that kind of binds you a little bit. Like you can't do things that you want to do. You can't go out and drink. You can't go out and carouse. By the way, how about that word, huh? Thought of that this morning. Carouse? Haven't used that in years. All right, sidelight. Sorry, focus. But they see that. There's a lot of things you can't do when you become a Christian because at the very least they understand that Christians live to a, to a different standard, a different moral standard. And I love to hear that because it's not always... It's not always true. There are many Christians out there who certainly don't apparently live by different standards. But truly, coming back to the point, Christianity is not supposed to be restrictive. It's not supposed to be this path and only this path, all these laws, and if you fall off that path, you just fall off the earth. It's not what it's meant to be. That freedom that's, been, that's being talked about here is that freedom to say, I'm going to live my life for God, and the more I get along that path, the easier life is to live in a healthy way. Because the wages of the previous life that I live is death. And that's not just the one death of separation from God. It's a daily death. That sin is not going to lead you in a good direction. But I can take that different path. And the reason I can take it now is because of grace. So then we reach verse 15, and he does another one of these what then kind of deals. And whenever you see words like that, what he's really talking about is he's talking to these people. He's saying, so if you're thinking this, it might be different. So he's kind of assuming what their kind of thought process is, and he wants to change that thought process. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means, moron, Mike's words. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness, not slaves to a set of rules, set free to live a life of righteousness. And again, that's that interesting concept or that interesting view and perception of Christianity, set free. Not to not sin anymore because you're probably going to sin some more, but set free from the idea and the guilt that's associated with that sin because there's grace there for you. And he's saying, shall we now sin because we're not under that law but under grace? He's, he's coming back to this again. Stop thinking that way. It's almost like he's saying, guys, stop it. Stop trying to find and poke holes in what we're talking about here because there are no holes to poke in God's grace. You can't do it because it is pure. It is a gift. There are some people that say, I feel like I have to work for it. They're trying to poke holes in that grace. Stop it. You can't. It's a gift. You have to accept the gift. There's some people saying, well, you know what? I can keep on sinning because there's still going to be grace. That's not the point. God's grace is a gift for you so that you have freedom from thinking that you can do whatever you want. It's more a freedom to start thinking to yourself, 
I can live a life worthy of my creator. And that life doesn't have to be restrictive in only doing boring things. Because if you're a Christian, you absolutely all have one friend who thinks because you're a Christian you live a boring life. I promise you. That's just the way people think about you. And that's unfortunate. But how we live our life, how we show them that we live our life, that life of freedom, that life in grace, has to show them differently. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. This is interesting. I love when he does this to begin this. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Because you are not very bright, I have to simplify this for you. It's possibly not the exact exegesis of that, but that's where I'm going. The rest of this passage, and I'll read the other few verses in a moment, is really talking about who is your master because you have to have one. Don't be fooled into thinking that you can live a Christian life on Sunday and not one the rest of the week. It just doesn't work that way. The grace is still there, but the freedom that you get dissolves if you try to live that life, if if, if you try to have two masters. This is not like a mom and a dad situation. Go to mom, ask for something. She says, no, go to dad and see if you'll say yes. It doesn't work that way. One God. Either he's your master or he's not. And freedom is about being able to say, because he is my master, I can live that life of hope without the possibility of defeat. I don't have to worry about death anymore. I think for many, many years, I don't, it doesn't even matter who perpetrated this idea. There were Christians that lived that life of restriction because they felt that the sins that they commit were not only sad to God, which they are, he does not like them, but not only were they sad, they were also possibly with salvation consequences. That you sinned and every little sin that you, that you made that happened, somehow you, it tore you up every sin that you committed, even the sins that you committed that you didn't, didn't know you were committing and you found out later, you just felt restricted. Oh man, why did I do that? And you beat yourself up. That's the freedom. You don't have to think that way anymore. Too many of us don't. We say we do. comes out of our mouth. It sounds good. I live in grace. I love Jesus. I am saved. We don't always think that way and we don't always live that way. And that's hope. Being able to say, I have that grace. I know it's there. When I sin, when I make mistakes, I can always come back and get it. And I can know I can ask God. But again, coming back to Paul's statement, you don't live a life of sin because you know there's grace. You live a life for God because he gave you that grace because it was a gift. To finish up, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. I believe Paul is throwing in some sarcasm here. When you were slaves to sin in your old life, you were free from the control. You were free from the control of righteousness. Literally, I can hear the facetiousness in his voice. What benefits did you reap from that? Hey, when you were sinning, how'd that go for you? Good work. No more righteousness to control you. All you got is death and a lot of it. 
But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. This entire chapter is about sanctification. Romans 5 was justification. That's just saying there's grace. You can be justified. Your sin does not have to leave to eternally being separated from God. That's being justified. Sanctification is the process whereby you become more like Christ. Daily, you die to old self. Daily, you become more like Jesus. And daily, you get that freedom. It just builds in you. You don't have to feel restricted and confined. You don't have to feel like your sins control you. Even if they're there, they don't control you. And this is not just about the biggies. This is not about alcoholism and drug abuse. This is not about pornography. This is about everything that we do. This is about the little cheating you do on your taxes. You know? That's about not helping someone who obviously needs help. It's those little things. Sins of commission, things we do, but there's also sins of omission, things we don't do that we know we should. And that's the part, I don't want you to feel guilt of those anymore. I don't want you to feel like those have to rule and be your master. God is your master. Grace is now what you live your life by. But again, coming back to Paul, just because there is grace doesn't mean that we can go back to living that old life. Sanctification is about living that life of grace and that life of hope without the possibility of defeat and being able to become more like him because it brings him glory, because it shows his power in how you can bring about that witness and people can see that. I wish more people would view Christianity as happiness. Man, that person is amazing. I bet you they're a Christian. Somebody stopped along the road and helped me with my flat tire today. Must have been a Christian. There's a freedom involved in grace. There's a freedom involved, and we need to grab hold of it a little bit stronger. It's not that we don't worry about the sins that we commit. It's that we don't let them rule us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift. Christmas, we get gifts. Birthdays, we get gifts. Those are good things, right? And sometimes the best gifts that we get are the ones we absolutely don't expect. The ones that we're like, I cannot believe you knew I wanted that. Grace is the biggest I can't believe you knew I wanted that of all time. There is no greater gift. The resurrection changed everything, and we get to live a life of grace now. We don't have to worry about living under the law, not that the law didn't have good things involved. It helped keep us clean and healthy, but that we don't have to let that law be our master. We can let it be grace. That is the good news. That is a happy thing, and that should be that amazing hope that we have without the possibility of defeat. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, it is actually impossible for us to completely and totally thank you the way that we should be thanking you for grace. But all we can do is live a life worthy of the grace that we've been given. It's not easy, Lord. It's so much easier to say that than it is to do that. But we ask for your strength. We ask for your power. We ask for the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, Lord. 
to be able to sanctify us and to move us forward and not let sin be the peace that controls us. We want that relationship with you to control us. We want to be slaves to righteousness, Lord, so that people will see that light just trying, just bursting to get out of us and show it to the world what you can do to change lives. Help us, Lord, this week to not act as though you're restricted by what you want for us, but to feel that freedom, Lord, feel that hope, to not feel the wages of our sin, but to feel that gift and to act on that gift in such a way that people can only think to themselves, wow, must be a Christian. Thank you for grace, Lord. Be with us today. Bless our afternoon, our evening, our week. And just strengthen us and empower us, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.